Welcome to Noble Warrior. My name is CK Lin. Noble Warrior is where I interview entrepreneurs about their journey from the first mountain of success to the second mountain of legacy. So you can go out and find your purpose, clarify your vision, and express your voice. If you have any friends who are on their journey who could use more inspiration to take that leap of faith from the first mountain to the second mountain, go ahead and share this episode with them. They really thank you for it. My next guest is Akira Chan. He's the co-founder of Rare Media, a next-gen video studio that produces transformational films, series, interactive content for entrepreneurs, organizations, and brands. He has worked with iconic knowledge influencers like Deepak Chopra, Vishen Lakhiani, Joe Polish, and Peter Diamandis. He's also the co-host of Little Humans, a series of conscious parenting published by My Valley. We talked about why transformational stories are so attractive to humans and how to cultivate the skills of storytelling and what separates iconic knowledge influencers to everyone else and how to distill the heartbeat of a story, how to balance the head and the heart as a storyteller, how to cultivate growth-oriented partnership and how to pick your partners. And how do you go from transactional to long-term client relationships? How to pick impact projects and how to make viral videos. And he gave a great example of a great founder story that started a movement. How to protect your presence for the sake of your spouse, your children, your employees, your clients while juggling multiple projects. And how to parent with the head, heart, hands, and your soul. How to beat your most creative self with morning rituals, task management, and client selection. And what are the benefits of having a men's group? And lastly, how do you elevate your own consciousness now that you are a spouse, an entrepreneur, a parent, and others depend on you? Please enjoy my conversation with Akira Chan, the co-founder of Rare Media. Thank you, CK. It's really an honor to be here with you. So I know that we're a limited amount of time. We're going to dive deep into your current mission, Rare Media. But first, uh, roll back a bit. Tell us the story about your grandpa that started it all. Oh, okay. Yes, let's go there. <laughs> so we can rewind the clock a little bit uh, to when I was 11 years old. And you'll understand, your audience will understand why I like to share this story when I get to the end of it. So. Um, I had an assignment when I was 11 years old, and I was always a very shy, very creative, but very shy kid. And the assignment was to interview a family member. Could be anyone. Could be an uncle, your parents, a grandparent. And I chose my grandfather. So I'm mixed race. I have a Chinese grandfather, a white grandmother, a, a Japanese grand set of grandparents on the other side of the family. We're all mixed up. But I chose my Chinese grandfather because he was always this larger-than-life figure to me. You know, he was very, uh, very powerful, very quiet and humble, but powerful when he spoke. And he used to be a boxer and a kung fu expert and a writer and all this stuff. So I thought he was like the most interesting person in my world as a child. So I said, I'm going to do my assignment on him. And where most kids ended up talking to their grandparents or whoever the family member was and writing it down. It was a written assignment. 
I uh, went to his house and my dad brought the family video camera because he thought it'd be a good idea to record our interaction. So what was going to be just a written homework assignment turned into a video interview. You could say, kind of say my first video interview that I did um, <laughs> as a filmmaker mm. um, with my dad as the camera operator. <laughs> mm. So, the DP. so yeah, he was my DP. Thanks yes. dad. So here I am like super shy, little me. I used to be called Aki. That's my family nickname. So I was little Aki. I was really shy. I had all my questions and I'm sitting there with my grandfather on his uh, favorite, his favorite uh, chair. And the first question that I asked him was, okay, grandpa, when you were my age, around 11 years old, what do you remember? And my big, stern, powerful grandpa thinks about it, softens, and then begins to cry. And I'm sitting there going, oh my God, what did I do wrong? And I'm scared. I'm asking, I'm saying, are you okay? What did I say? And he goes on to tell the story about how his family put him on a boat from Canton, China to the US without him knowing, knowing about it until he was on the boat, leaving the shore, watching his family drift away. And no idea he wasn't going to see them for another 10, 15 years. Mm. And they were essentially saving him because they couldn't afford to even feed their family. Uh, they were in such a poor uh, fishing village. So they mm. were sending him off to the US to have a better life, which is a common immigrant story. Mm. But the point is, I, in that moment, saw something really unexpected. You know, we all saw this uh, patriarch of the family have an emotional moment and share a very vulnerable story and cry and, and oh, reveal himself. And even my dad, who was in the room, I didn't remember it at the time, but later he told me that he was crying too, because that was the first time he heard his dad tell that story in that way. Mm. Now, I didn't realize until probably about 20 years later, when I was almost 30 and well on my way as a career filmmaker, documentarian, that that was what planted the seed for me, that you can tell incredible stories. If you have a camera in the room, it can capture pure emotion. It can capture magic. It can capture stories that otherwise wouldn't be shared. And you know, the reason I love to share this story is because I like to encourage people to tune into that thing that wasn't necessarily what you decided to do in terms of a career or you were interested in science, so you moved into this path or you were interested in art, so you became an artist. But there's usually something, usually in your childhood that planted a seed and it usually has some had some kind of emotional impact on you where consciously or subconsciously, your path, your your fate, your destiny, and a lot of your, your consciousness was started to move in that direction. And for me, that was it. It was as simple as that moment. I didn't realize it until much later on, but it was that moment that really shaped me and led me to pursue an entire career of putting a camera in the room, sitting down with people, talking to them, and sharing a moment of transformation. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Now, for those of you who aren't Asian, uh, mm -hmm. Asian grandpas typically don't cry. They don't show emotions. It's very much part of the culture. It's very, very stoic, yes. if anything. So the fact that you, with your first question, your grandpa show that vulnerable emotional side, it goes to show the uh, potential and the prowess you got as a, yes. as a, as a storyteller. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think I realize now that it's those moments that I really work and seek, you know, work for and seek in my own creative work. Um, we do a lot of productions uh, with my company, Rare Media, and the companies I work with. But there's always some element that I'm seeking, which I just have to call, you know, transformation. There's a transformational storyline where the person I'm filming or the story of this company or this event, there's some transformational element. And I really like that because I feel like that's, you know, that's, that's what unifies us. Uh, mm. We're unified by our commonalities, but what gets us to certain places is the personal journey, the personal changes and, and evolutions that we experience in life. So I'm always trying to find that that transformational storyline to follow and film and share. So I'm gonna go right into the mechanics of it, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Let's say, say you you're an entrepreneur, you're an organization, your brand. It's so layered, right? There's so many things, the hundreds, perhaps thousands of things you can pick from. As a filmmaker, as a seasoned filmmaker who's been doing this, and this is also your dharmic path, right? You know, really helping people to tell their transformational story. How do you identify a singular, either a moment or a thing or a story to say, ah, this is it. This is the heart of this transformational story. Hmm. One of the ways I get there is by going to the root, you know, going to the the origin story, if you will. Um, there's different words and concepts for it. You know, it could be called like a blueprint. Um, I believe there's a Vedic term for it. I don't want to screw it up, but I think praktiki, praktiki or something like that. It's intelliki is another word for it. But it's the concept that in every seed, you have the blueprint of what that seed is going to grow into, whether it's a tree, a flower, you know, whatever it is, that's already built in there. And that sounds a little bit esoteric, even as I'm explaining it, but in some ways, that's what I'm looking for. So I'm looking to distill down from whatever it is. Let's say it's an entrepreneur. Let's say it's someone who has built an incredible business around health and wellness, and they're using technology or they're using uh, ancient wisdom, whatever it is. That's great. It's easy to tell that story. What I want to aim at is, okay, so where does that, that impact everything that you've created, the whole story around that? Where does that exist in the founder? And where does that exist in their upbringing or their psyche mm -hmm. or their value system? And I feel like people appreciate that because it's one thing to just tell a story in a straight linear way and in bullet points, but it's another thing to really unravel and, and show, you know, the, the true, um, the true drive that's moving this thing forward. And that's why I somehow, you know, usually end up working with very values driven companies, companies that aren't afraid to take a stand about something or have a body of works, but focused specifically on something that's very personal to them and thus very passionate that they're passionate about. Does that answer the question? It, it does, but I'm going to, let's go a little deeper if you don't yes, mind. So if I understand deeper. what you're saying is, hey, understand what the company is up to. Let's say they sell creams or they sell, you know, a transformational a widget that helps with their health and well-being. And then, so after you understand this storyline, 
then you're trying to find a parallel within the founder. Why do they uh, want to tell or uh, advocate for uh, this this creation of this widget? Is that a rough understanding of yeah, what you just said? That's a great explanation of it. And it's done, it's quite a common thing to tell the origin story, right? The founder mm -hmm. story, the brand origin story. But it's really special to make it very personal and to focus on the personal, you know, that spark, that personal moment that sparked everything that came from it. And I've been fortunate to talk to some, you know, pretty amazing people who are entrepreneurs, um, you know, authors. Um, we work quite often with, as you mentioned, Chopra Center and Deepak Chopra. We also work with technologists and people who are 3D printing houses and have a mission to put solar panels on the roof of every house in the country. Um, and then there's things that have a social impact. Um, I worked on a film about addiction with a well-known marketer entrepreneur named Joe Polish, who mm -hmm. is known for his Genius Network mm -hmm. um, community. And he's a great friend and we work great together. And we produced a film on addiction. Mm -hmm. And when he first brought up this concept of wanting to make a film with me about the topic of addiction, I almost, I almost refused because I had no relationship to addiction. And I think I also had some judgments around it. Like, oh, mm -hmm. addiction is this dark, very important, but dark social issue that I don't fully understand. And it's this whole world of, of AA meetings and recovery and hard drugs and, and all kinds of stuff. And I had all these concepts. But when he sat down and told me his personal story and how he struggled with addiction from as a result of trying to cope, and it was his best solution and he had tra massive trauma. And then he began to share with me all the other types of addiction, like process addictions, like workaholism, um, you know, gambling, being addicted to social media, keeping yourself up for hours at night, scrolling because you're, you're satisfying that, that addiction and you're coping and you're avoiding something else. When he explained it to me that way and it was very personal, um, I had that same moment that I had with my grandfather, which was oh, wow, this is actually a universal story. Like this is a very emotional, personal transformational story that almost everyone can relate to. And mm. I said, yes. And we made a film about the link between addiction and art and creativity and why we've lost so many artists to mm. drugs and addiction and, and a downward spiral. And it was something I could get behind because I found that personal moment uh, that Joe had in his life that then blossomed into this much bigger universal story. Okay, so real quick. So Joe did an amazing job. He didn't just talk about the micro. Hey, here's my story about addiction. Because for mm -hmm. you, that was too narrow. You couldn't relate. It's not something that a world that you were even interested in. But he was able to very skillfully expand on the definition of addiction to social media, Netflix, you know, success or workaholism or whatever mm -hmm. the thing is for you to say, yes. oh, wow, now if you reframe it, it actually applies to a lot of people. Is that what he did, right? That's right. That's right. And that became the framework for how I was going to make that film and tell that story. So something I'm always thinking about as a media maker um, is how do you tell all sides of the story, but in a way that everyone can hear it? And you know, anyone who's done a lot of personal development work, there's this idea of speaking into the listening. Like if you're not speaking into the listening, 
they're just not going to hear it. People will get defensive, feel like you're accusing them of something, feel like, like you're labeling them. So those are all, those are things that I'm always trying to look at when I'm telling a story is how do I make it universal and personal um, without simplifying it too much, but in a way where anyone can relate to that human experience. The visual I always have is when I'm making this video, when I'm developing a script, when I'm making something is how do I get the person who's going to watch this with their arms crossed? How do we get them to uncross their arms? And that's something a, a film mentor of mine shared once. And I always, that always sticks in my head is how do I get that person who, who is just not wanting to believe it, not wanting to hear it, to uncross their arms and lean in and go, oh, there's something here for me. And that's mm -hmm. relevant for marketing. That's relevant for, um, you know, sharing a big thing to the world. It's, it's, it works in everything, relationships, parenting, all of it. So, so, well, I think this would be a good segue to share your father's wisdom about the head <laughs> heart. You want to, you want to tell that story real quick? Oh yeah. Okay. I, I, you're, you're such a great interviewer. <laughs> you do your research and, and remember all the topics. Um, so yeah, I've, that's been my latest journey has been parenthood, fatherhood. And what's funny, and I think this is something I would suggest for anyone listening, which is my professional path, what you could call a career, has really been guided by all of my personal interests. And that might sound like a luxury. I know I'm lucky that that's the case, but it did take a leap of faith and a lot of risks to do that, to one day say, hey, I'm not just a guy with a camera and a computer who can do video. Like at some point I realized that's all I was doing was saying, hey, hire me, I have a camera. Hey, hire me, I can film. And it wasn't leading me anywhere. I wasn't satisfied. There were a lot of things I was doing that I just wasn't thrilled with. <clears throat> and I realized that at a certain point I had to say, hey, this is me. This is the way I see the world. What you're getting is that. I might be holding a camera. I might be making a film, but what you're getting is me and the way I see it. And it took many people telling me that before I actually understood it and embraced it. So I'm sharing that because my personal life and interests have always run parallel to what I'm producing and doing professionally. You know, if it's a film about uh, meditation, it's because I got into meditation the year before. Or if it's about culture and traveling and festivals and all that, it's because I was living that lifestyle. I was getting into the festival scene and all those things. And lately it's been a lot about um, education and parenting. And we did a whole series um, on parenting the moment my wife and I, my amazing wife, Renee, who's also my business partner, we became parents three and a half years ago. And because we live that way, we decided let's make a series about parenting and we'll learn all the secrets and the strategies and everything to become better parents ourselves by producing this whole series on parenting. And that led me to interviewing over 20 parenting experts, authors, uh, other parents, and producing this series with the platform Mind Valley, which is an incredible personal development platform and company. And in doing that, I heard a lot of input, but what you had brought up was my own philosophy that came out of that was that I'm always trying to interact with my son from a place that combines the, uh, the head, the heart, and the hand. So the head is 
what you try to do for these kids, which is teach them to deliver knowledge, teach them about the world, you know, explain things to them, answer all their millions of questions. Sometimes I clock, you know, a hundred questions a day from our three-year-old. <laughs> and, and then the other aspect of that is the heart. So am I doing that in a way that also defines how to interact with the world? You know, I'm, I've been very aware of how I'm modeling and interacting with the world from a place of emotional intelligence and what I just call the heart. Um, again, Asian upbringing, we can relate to this. There's a cultural thing. I didn't see a lot of emotional expression from my parents and family. So that was something I was always yearning for. I was yearning for like more hugs and more tears and laughing and more expression. So that's something that I'm working on with my son is like, is my heart there? You know, am I approaching strangers on the street with, with uh, warmth and kindness? Uh, or am I closing down? Am I sharing my emotions with him? You know, is he, is he, has he seen me cry? Which he has seen me cry a few times. It took my grandpa, you know, 60 years before any family member saw him cry. With my son, he's seen me cry already. He's only three. So he knows that men and fathers can cry. So there's the head, the heart, and then the hand is um, more of like practical tools, tactical, tangible. My son seems like a little engineer. There was one time when he was probably about six months old. And you know, at six months, like you don't even, you're not even supposed to give a six month old uh, a spoon because they could stick it in their mouth and hurt themselves or swallow anything, right? At six months old, he got a hold of my video camera, which is, mm. you know, it's worth quite a lot of money and lenses mm. and everything. And he started to press buttons and take it apart. And next thing I know, he has the lens off. And I was going to yank it away from him and stop him and say, like, don't ever touch my camera equipment. You're too young, blah, blah, blah. And mm. I stopped myself and I thought, okay, what is that element of like hands on? Like, he's not going to understand a camera or the value of it if I explain it to him. Mm. But he's got his hands on it. I could show him how to put it back together. And that's what I did. I let him get his hands and fingers all over my camera and lenses and everything. And I showed him how to put it back and which buttons to press. And of course, you know, by one years old, he was already putting the camera on the tripod and knew how to hit record. And he knows how to use a video camera. And wow. now, nowadays, I just let him touch anything because he, he knows. He knows how to use his hands. And that's a technical example, but I'm also getting him into gardening, right? So mm -hmm. hands-on, like repairing things, gardening, mm -hmm. um, cooking food. For me, if I do one of those things a day from head hand and heart, one from each category, I feel like I've had a successful parenting day. Mm. And what about our soul? You, you, you missed that part. Oh, man. <laughs> so, so the soul, thank you. The mm. soul is kind of, kind of what I touched on with that just being the energy, like mm. the energy of that always being there, like always just being connected to the, the intention of things. And one of the things that, you know, brings the soul into it is, are, are you being, am I being fully present? You know, it's hard to be a, a full-time working entrepreneur on multiple projects and stuff and to be fully present and have that soul-to-soul -soul connection with a child or even a loved one, mm. you know, even my partner. So that is the almost unnameable, like untangible thing that has to bring all those other things together. Mm, beautiful. 
So I want to put a pin on conscious parenting just for a moment. So we can sure. go more into that. But we're, we'll unwind a little bit. We're talking about how do you tell a compelling story with individual organizations and brands? And, and part of what you said is, hey, tell a human story. Uh, and then if I'm hearing you right, I didn't, I didn't quite hear it explicitly, but I'm hearing you right. That's also the way of being that you're bringing um, into interacting with your clients, looking at uh, through your head, your heart, your hands, and your soul. Is that an accurate reflection? Yeah, that, that is really accurate. I mean, I would say that something that I just realized, you know, in this, this particular stage of, of what I do professionally is um, I'm not just a technician, kind of like what I shared before, how, you know, whether you were a, um, you know, a computer scientist or even a founder, uh, you know, a technologist, someone who's an expert in nutrition, there's a certain technical element to what you do, right? You've memorized a bunch of different food groups and weight and supplements and things like that. You're kind of really good at your craft technically. I try to maintain this balance where the technical is there. I can, I can do things technically. I'm always improving myself. I'm always upgrading my knowledge around the technical side and the execution. But at the core of it is, is really me. It, it's my engagement and passion for the topic. You know, it's my belief in the company that we've brought on as a client that we're now making videos for. It's my belief in the film idea that was brought to me that I want to fully see through and commit to for, you know, up to a year, sometimes longer with films. Um, they're huge commitments. They're big relationships. So for me, you know, that that's an element of, uh, of creating that magic. So that's very, very important to me. You know, you can, you can put different labels on it. You can, you can categorize it, whether it's a, a marketing videos or a film series, or even like, you know, just something explaining uh, a concept, you know, like a philosophical content video. Um, there has to be a connection. There has to be a connection that is both like curious and, and exciting that can create something new. Otherwise, yeah. You can create great work, but the process itself is not going to be very exciting and yeah, it's not I mean, going to stand out. Yeah. Well, you're referring to, to me anyway, the, the way I think about it, it's how do you not just doing the transaction, like here's money, here's the work, like very yes. mechanical, very, very engineering, very um, externally driven. What we're talking about here is really, you know, you're putting your life energy, your precious time, your, that's what's unique, you know, spiritually of a, uh, Akira behind these people's ideas, you're augmenting, yes. you're fueling their movement, right? So in my mind, this is important for you to want to be fully engaged, you know, the mind, the heart, the hands, right? Mm -hmm. And your spirit as well. So yes. that, that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. 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 That's absolutely correct. And that's why lately I no longer see the work we do and the people we work with as just clients or just a job um, for the last about six or seven years, I've been looking at all of them as partners, long-term partnerships, sometimes lifelong partnerships and relationships. So I value their time and their vision as much as I, I have come to value my own. It's, it's quite equal actually. Mm. So that's why um, 
that's why we often work with people and, and really go deep and build long-term relationships and create some amazing work is because we both meet each other at that place of really deep mutual respect mm. and commitment to what we're doing. And it took me about 20 years to, to shift my mindset around that, to change that paradigm from seeing things as just a job or a budget and even, you know, like picking and choosing projects based on that to mm. picking and choosing things because they really want me to be the one working with them. And I, in turn, really want to work with them. Mm. And that crosses many different industries and types of people. But that's that's always the underlying thing. So I want to ask you a question about relationship, report building, and basically partnership. I think that's an important component. Remind me to come back to this in just a moment. But I, I also want to ask a, a technical question, right? So what we're talking about so far has been ways of being, of engaging with, with your partners, using your words. At the same time, um, it's very noisy today. And it will continue to be even more noisy as we you know, move forward with technologies and geopolitical and different things that people are doing. Everyone is a content creator these days, right? So it would be even more noisy. So I'm curious to know, how do you identify the storyline that would break through the noise? Hmm. Wow. That's a, I mean, that's a profound tactical question <laughs> that we bring up that is brought up in a lot of early development calls when it comes to film projects and, and marketing ideas. I feel like I have this conversation almost on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it shows up as, hey, we need to make a viral video or we need to make something that hasn't been done before. And that's when I you know, kind of take a breath and I say, well, let's look at what you do uniquely that you do better than anyone else or that you are committed to doing and mm -hmm. let's tell that story. So for me, it used to be a matter of watching a lot of what was out there and then kind of dissecting it and mm -hmm. figuring it out. Cause the, you could do that. Like you could, you could get by just fine doing that as a video and creative approach. Um, but I found that that just became really um, distracting like you're mm. constantly chasing and trying to figure out what worked about something that's mm. already out there, that's already come and gone. Mm -hmm. And like you so perfectly put, it is so noisy and also, and maybe just more importantly, is it's so fast. The mm. velocity at that something will capture everyone's attention for an entire day or a week and then disappear and you can't even figure out where it went. It's and it's gone. It you know it's it hits five million views and then it's gone. So we're living in a very different time where even if you were to have the viral video and the thing that that hits that velocity, you have to follow up with it over and over and over again because that's not good enough. It just doesn't stand out anymore. So it's important to look at the creators who are consistently putting videos out that are getting tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, or millions of views and see what they're doing specifically. And usually what you'll find is they're doing something that is so personal and specific to them and they're not doing anything else. And they may change the format, they may make different types of videos, but they are committed. And it almost becomes this volume, um, you know, having the body of work that, that you spend years committing to and having the consistency and the frequency um, that is almost more important than trying to strategize what the one thing is that will get people's attention for that one moment. 
that is becoming mm -hmm. a smaller and smaller and smaller moment. So that's usually where I start is mm -hmm. what would you like to do or what can we do together that we can do consistently with excellence that will be interesting, that we're excited about and we can do over time and continue to do. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? It does. So what I'm hearing is there's an inside out approach and an outside in approach. Outside in yeah. approach, as you talked about, it's more about like, let's do, you know, look at everything uh, everyone else is doing. Let's try to figure out what's, you know, the, the a, a blue ocean. They're not in there yet. Let's stay outside of the red ocean. And that's an outside in data driven approach, right? I think mm -hmm. what you're pointing to is more of an inside out. What is it that you as the creator, as the author, as the organization, as the brand want to do? And that's going to um, have you dedicate really your life, devote your life to consistently put out and stand behind so they can have that compound effect, have that accretive effect. And that will ultimately uh, come out ahead. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why um, I don't use templates or kind of a packaged um, list of things that we produce where it's like, hey, you can make video A, B or C. That's just not the way I work. It's always a fully customized. Let's talk about what you're doing and the best way to do it. And we, I like to start from that um, blank slate and I end up working with people who are very comfortable with that blank slate, which is why we work with a lot of entrepreneurs because they're, they're used to creating something out of nothing, right? They're used to solving problems. So we kind of love to mash, um, you know, that, that place of like, Ooh, what do we really want to tell and how can we do it in our own unique way instead of boxing ourselves in? So you're right. That is more of an inside out approach and it's worked so far. Um, so I, I continue to do that. <laughs> Mm. How did you come back and define, say, hey, we're going to do an impact-driven media studio uh, production company rather than, you know, things you have done before, like weddings or luxury or da da da, yes. da da How did you pick your own lane, your own niche? Yeah. I mean, for me, it really has been pretty, pretty aligned. Well, so you bring up a really good word, which is impact and impact driven. And I sometimes I call our studio and my work re lately is as impact driven media. And mm -hmm. the reason for that is like the addiction film, um, like a film I worked on that was about the United Nations sustainability, sustainable development goals. Um, and other films that involve social issues like people experiencing homelessness um, or, uh, you know, people who are, um, are in need of, of, you know, natural treatments to diseases and things like that. There, there was always some kind of impact that the media piece was making. So it wasn't just simply branding. It wasn't simply just making a video for video's sake. There was a lot of actual real world impact for it. And I like that I see a lot of documentaries out there in the world and a lot of other media producers who are starting to shift in that same direction. It's like, let's create something that actually has an impact and then let's build a community around that. So for me, it was a result of me just being surrounded by very interesting people who raised, my, raised the bar for me in terms of the topics I cared about, in terms of you know, some of the more important issues to be making films about. And I realized that 
you know, my time and my skills are very valuable and I could put them towards things that, you know, might inspire people or might, might uh, support someone, you know, might be interesting, but I can begin to take that to another level, which is let's, let's link up my skills and my work with actual brands, foundations, organizations, where I could say, hey, I supported them in making this impact, you know, in getting solar onto the roofs of a million people or in helping to, you know, get, uh, you know, 100 people, 200 people out of uh, addiction cycles. Um, and this measurable, Im measurable impact became very important to me. So that's one of the other kind of filters that I put on my work these days, which is, is it making an impact? Is it having a tangible impact? Is it working with an impact entrepreneur or organization? And can I see that my work, my personal work, is having that effect? You know, that How did you come up with those criteria? I mean, it's, I'm sure been, it's a process, right? And it's not just, I mean, it could be just like, you know, divine download, <laughs> all of a sudden super clear. Yeah. What did you do to come to that conclusion? Yeah. I think it was just for me, it was a decision. It was a maturity decision because I know a lot of other filmmakers and creatives, um, whether they're the ones I work with on my team or peers of mine who, you know, don't really do that. They're very happy with just, just being a cinematographer and filming you know, for something different every single weekend. I think to me, it's very important. One of my values is building a body of work. Um, it's important for me to have alignment with what I'm doing and where I'm putting my energy. So for me, that was a creative moment of maturity, kind of a creative awakening, if you will. You know, at some point, it's not just about the joy and the, the passion around filmmaking or whatever your craft is. It becomes about, you know, what are you doing with that? And how is that going to build a certain story or legacy or impact over time? And it's, it has everything to do with my own personal maturity as a human, you know, as a man. And that's, that's, I'm still, I'm still early on that stage. I'm still learning a lot every day and things I say no to these days. It's not because I don't approve of them. It's just because maybe that was me 15 years ago, you know, making music videos. Maybe that was me, you know, 10 years ago, you know, I would say yes to doing this little job that you know, was for this brand, gave me a paycheck. Now, I have a discipline and kind of a maturity and also a focus ahead that has me easily just say, no, you know, sorry, no, thanks. Here's someone else who can do that. Who'd be great for it. But I'm actually focused on these particular topics at this point. And it's going to keep changing. Yeah. Talk about that metacognition framework, if you don't mind, because let's say, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm just give you some concrete examples that, you know, clients are dealing with, right? Uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I have a, a business that's working well, but I have a call like this no longer um, compels me anymore because it's just doing the job. Now I have a call to do something that really ignites my soul, right? Or I have an inkling of an interest that like something's tugging me there. I don't know exactly what. Tell me about the, the metacognition framework such that have you went from, let's say, you know, weddings or, you know, music videos that just paid the bills to mm -hmm. impact driven? Like, how did you, did you just shut it off overnight? <laughs> I'm doing this or was it like a transitional period where you actually 
you know, make conscious decisions to balance your effort, your time out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a great thing to look at and you're right. There is a metacognition. That's a really great, great concept. Um, I have to look back. I have to look backwards to make sense of it now. And I feel like it was a slow transition over time. I can't say there was any particular moment where I woke up or was in a ceremony and it just like the switch flipped as it often does for people. For me, it was this, you know, transition over time of challenging myself creatively. So it went from, this actually isn't challenging me anymore. I'm filming things the same way. I don't want to do another wedding. I don't want to film another event. Um, and I wasn't feeling challenged. And I feel like whether you are in a creative career or a tech, if you're a surgeon, you know, if you're a doctor, if you're a, a mountain competitive mountain biker, I feel like there always should be that element of you challenging yourself and doing things where you could fail and, and do fail. So for me, that was one element to what you're sharing. There was part of me that was saying, hey, there's this larger uh, you know, place I'm growing into. And to grow there, I'm going to have to get to the edges and be uncomfortable and say yes to some jobs that I don't feel like I'm capable of and just say yes and then learn as I go. And I did that with films. I did that with projects that had big budgets or projects that I didn't know anything about. I would say yes, and then I would rise to the occasion and train to where I could execute that film or show up and, and be able to do, do my work. So there was a lot of that. And with that came this natural growth of doing more significant things and becoming clear about you know, what was for me and what wasn't for me. But I have to tell you, CK, like I'm still in this process. Every single week I'm dealing with, with asking myself these questions. You know, I just, I just turned away a, a uh, documentary project that had a $1 million budget, you know, independent, healthy, independent documentary project. But I had to say no, because I'm not the person to do it. And mm. it's so, it was what so hard. What, what makes you say that? Why do you uh, say that? Because it's a film having done a handful of documentaries now and knowing what it takes and the commitment, which is at least a year, sometimes more, um, a film of that size, we do little things and big things. We do a lot of five minute things, series, and then we do feature length documentaries, which I love, but I've learned that unless I'm really passionate about it, it takes a lot to get to the end. Uh, you gotta get, you gotta commit to it, and, and it takes a lot to just finish a film, let alone get it out there and distribute it and try to make money back on it. So when this approached me, you know, me ten years ago would have said, "Oh my God, that is a good size budget. It's here. It's tangible. I could say yes to it. Absolutely. Where do I sign?" <laughs> and at this stage, the first question I ask is, "Okay." Am I going to make that commitment to this film and this project and these people for a year, maybe two years, maybe more? Once I do that, how does that define me? Okay, I just put out this film. Okay, I'm, I'm going to, people come to you for what you put out, right? At a certain mm. point, it's not about what you do, but who you are and your body of work that begins to define you professionally. So you're always judged on your last work, but mm. you're also, people seek, you're sought after for your most recent work. And you become that person for that genre. And it happens at the small scale as well as like the big commercial scales. So for me, it was clear that it wasn't for me because I just wasn't personally connected to that particular documentary subject. 
Mm-hmm. And I knew, and I know that there's someone out there who is a follower follower of this person's work, who would, this would be their dream project, and I'm not going to keep it from them. And I don't want to, I don't want to dupe the producers either and say I'm the person for that. I'm going to let them know there is someone perfect for this job and to direct this film, and it's not me. And Got it was it. a big relief for them, and it was a big relief for me. And everyone wins, and it'll happen. <laughs> yeah, is is that okay?、Mm. Well, this is a great segue to our previous conversation about choosing partners, because you had said earlier,、um, they're no longer your clients; they're your partners、uh, and partners that you want to develop a long-term relationship with. So that's one criteria, right? Another criteria you just talked about is. Hey, how would this film or project define me as a as a part of my body of work? And、uh, the third, obviously, is the sizable of、um, funding and capital. It's it's is so it allows you to、uh, drive to different places, right? So these are three obvious ones. Other others that you haven't shared in terms of choosing who you want to 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 be a partner with. Yeah. I mean, there has to be that that personal connection. I have to like the people I'm working with, and that's another thing that I myself have experienced in my career. And I see a lot of of professionals I work with experience with their teams and their organizations and their staff. And you know, it takes a lot to find the right people and to build these long term partnerships. And sometimes there needs to be that tension. Sometimes tension can create amazing things. But at the end of the day, what's the、uh, you know what is the sacrifice you're you're giving to your health and your well-being and your mental space? So I've always had pretty amazing experiences where the people I'm working with, whether that's the videographers I'm hiring and working with, or the people I'm filming、uh, with, we always have a great relationship. Like we actually enjoy each other, we respect each other, we enjoy being with each other and producing the work. And it's not to say that we don't get into Arguments and there's tension and there's a lot of challenge that goes into producing stuff and getting it out there, but you know, like one of my biggest things is laughter. Like if I can laugh and and joke around with my clients and partners and you know these people I'm working with, and we could just be ourselves around each other, that for me is it's become a normal thing, and I realize it's pretty abnormal. <laughs> But、mm. that's become a normal thing, and because of that, it's kind of become like an expectation of mine. You know,、mm. like I gotta just like you as a human. I gotta really connect with you. Like, really feel like there's that kinship, and I could be in your shoes doing that. I love what you're doing, and then for you know, on their side of things, they usually love what I'm doing and love my role. And you know, that's the foundation of it. It's it's really about. The the who is much more important than the how, what, or why of the to- of the you know of the topic or what we're doing. Yeah, it reminds me of a book、uh, Dan Sullivan just put out. Who not who not how, yeah who not who what not or who how, not how yeah, who not yeah, how. Yeah. Yes, I was going to mention Dan Sullivan、um, yeah. because that I think of that all the time now, which is one of the reasons why I'm on this podcast, my、mm. friend, is because you're a who that. I really respect. No,、um, thank you. You know, I definitely had no intention of being on podcasts at all, or more podcasts. But when C.K. Lin 
ask me to be on a podcast, I say yes. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you. I, yeah. I, uh, I'm flattered. Thank you. Um, has there been any situations where you were involved in a partnership and then any of those things above you just you say, all right, I'm out. Was there anything like that? Yeah, of course there have been. I mean, I don't have like the perfect slate, just like no one has that with past, you know, boyfriends, girlfriends, partners, marriages, things like that. And I've only had a few of those, but it was because we outgrew the relationship. Mm. So one thing that I recommend to other creatives, creative professionals, you know, whether you're a um, painter or a videographer, um, you know, graphic designer, marketer, you end up partnering with, uh, you should partner with people. That is one way to grow. I, I don't recommend people stay a lone wolf for too long. You can make a career out of it. But every growth phase of my career has been opening up and actually working in collaboration with people to where I now am very comfortable working with a team, um, getting out of the way, saying, hey, I know I'm the director, but why don't you direct this scene? Because I want to I want to see how you'll film this. I want to see how you'll work with this person. And that's been a great gift is like knowing when I could step away and also empowering people, but also um, pulling myself out of the equation. So I'm sharing that because I recommend that people try out partnerships and relationships as a way to grow. You know, you can only build great things with with a team, with more people, even just that one person. And partnerships can make or break you. You know, my, my wife and I started a business together. We've always done business together and it somehow works. It doesn't work with a lot of couples, but for some reason we what fit together. What do you think together. that is? What, what do you think that is? What was the, so magical about the, the two of you? Yeah. That goes against sort of the, the grain of, you know, don't do business with your uh, romantic partner <laughs> or family or things like that. Like what, yeah. what about it? It's so special. I mean, number one is just her, you know, Renee, my wife is an amazing woman who knows who she is and is very like just a, a solid, capable person. So a lot of it is me just really leaning on her strengths and letting her teach me things. The other part of it is contrast. So I have had the partnerships, both professional and relationships that didn't work out in working together. There wasn't enough contrast or you could say yin and yang complementary energy it was a lot of the same and it began to butt heads so when i try to start a, a business with a ex-girlfriend of mine who is an artist we both wanted to be the artist and the creator and no one wanted to do the hard work of you know making money from it or accounting or you know building a business so we we're always stepping on each, each other's shows and competing with each other. Mm. Same with professional relationships. Yeah, you know, I've partnered with many other filmmakers. The ones that didn't work out, we were outgrowing each other. You know, like one of us couldn't let go or I was naive and, and was um, doing things my way and not understanding the process and getting ahead of things. So it's worked both ways. But in all those aspects where it didn't work out, I saw that we both just need to grow in different directions. I think mm. it's fully possible to grow together and, you know, have great partners, have great relationships and build stuff. Um, but at a certain point, it becomes clear that someone's going this way and the other and you or the other person is going in a different direction. And the sooner you can be honest with that and let them know, the better. 
because there's been a few, both professional and uh, relationship, you know, intimate relationship where I didn't be, I wasn't honest. I waited six months, a year or two years before letting them know. And that's where things can really, really fall apart and take a toll on people. How do you keep that? Because you're, you're a husband, you're a father, you're a business co-founder, all mixing one, right? How do you keep clear lanes? For example, like, hey, between this time, this time, I am business partner. Or at this particular location, I'm, you know, father, husband. Anything yeah. like that yeah. to make sure that, because, you know, just the capacity is different, right? From a loving partner versus a very rigorous business partner. You know what I mean? So how do you yeah. clearly define or, or, or preempt the conversation that you got about to have with each other? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an ongoing dialogue. It's always evolving. Um, you know, I haven't thought of, of the concept or the word multidimensional for a while until you brought it up mm -hmm. um, in preparation for this, this interview. And I think that's what it is. It's like recognizing that there's a multidimensionality to the day and the roles I play and all the tasks I have at hand. and it's just impossible to try and compartmentalize it. You know, it's like all one thing flowing into it itself. Like I'm, I'm here focused, working on a project. Um, and then, you know, my wife brings my son here and that pulls me out of it. And I'm okay with that. And I play for a bit and then I come back into it. And if anything, it's, um, you know, it's, it's a matter of being able to just go with the flow, but stay focused. So I have a rigidness and a focus every day, and I do have routines, but I am completely unafraid to completely break them and break routine. Yeah. What? What? Well, since this is where the conversation is, why don't we go into that? And then let me contextualize a bit, because I hear you saying you have five, six projects happening at the same time. And in my mind, I'm thinking because I, I I've done events before, I've done kind of a, like a mini, you know production before. So there's like hundreds of things happening at the same time within each project. So that means hundreds and hundreds of things yes. you need to keep track of, right? How do you have all of that going and still maintain your presence as you're so demonstrating here right now? How do you ritualize or protect your presence? Yeah. Uh, I just remind myself to to be present and to be, to be open, to be flexible. Um, and I don't always do a great job at it. You know, there, there are many times of the day where I, you know, feel very overwhelmed by things or show up, you know, get back home an hour late or, you know, miss something. Um, there's a certain commitment to my work that sometimes will, will negatively affect my personal relationships. You know, I would mm -hmm. disappear and be completely consumed by a project for months and don't see any friends and, and only see my family. So for me, it's this ongoing process of just um, prioritizing things. You know, I would say that one thing that might be useful for entrepreneurs to hear is that you should expect everything to be blended in and for that just to, to always be the case. And you should embrace blending it all together. So family, 
marriage relationships, your work day, your, your relationships at work with your, you know, your professional team and peers and stuff like that. The more you can blend those actually, and, and not try to separate them, um, can work for your mindset, but there is a very much a value in routines and, um, and certain sacred, let's just call them, you know, sacred priorities, right? So now, and it took me a while to do this. Now my weekends are pretty much just sacred time for family and friends. Mm. I, I don't usually touch the computer. I try not mm. to check email. I try not to be on my phone while I'm at a park with my son. And it's my way of just unplugging. And I don't really set strict guidelines on myself, but it's just an awareness. It's an awareness that I can only give, you know, 60% over here if I, I'm still leaving this door halfway open. So that's what I try to do lately. And some days it's freaking hard because I do have six plus productions going with, you know, 30 conversations happening all at once and 60 to 80 emails a day that I have to respond to by the end of the day. And I've learned to just focus on each one at a time, knowing that whatever gets done will get done, but try to just focus and not try to focus on, on everything, like not try to, you know, kind of, have everything be blurry, but in my field of view versus having one or two things completely in focus in front of me and just take care of them. Mm. I love that. So, I mean, concretize that a little bit. You do your best to be present. You uh, carve out non-negotiable days with the weekends as family and friends time. Mm-hmm. And you do your very best when you go into parks or specific locations to not touch your phone. These are two clear um, tactics that you implement. Are there others? There are certain morning routines. Um, I learned a lot working on a film about morning routines. There's a very popular book called The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod, who's an amazing human. And he created this um, morning routine of different exercises, you know, exercise, meditation, reading, uh, journaling. Uh, He he, um, what do you call it, systematized it. And this book and the system became so popular, it's been translated in 20 languages and it's all mm. over the world. So we made a documentary film talking to various people about their morning routines, a lot of thought leaders, a lot of well-known people. So when I was working on that film, I was actually practicing Hal's Miracle Morning and doing mm. all those things every morning. And there is a beauty in having a set of things that's very specific to you Um, that you just do. And what seems like you're forcing yourself to do it, or I don't have time to do all those things, it just becomes a natural thing that you can rely on. Mm. So for me, that's a little bit of meditation. It's a morning exercise. It's the drink I make in the morning, which is like a lemon, honey, turmeric tea, which just, I feel great throughout the day after I do that every morning. And, um, you know, it's just making sure I do certain things to set myself up and begin the day and I stay consistent with it. Another thing I do, um, which is interesting, uh, is I have a big journal and some pens and I sit down and I try to draw something. I just sketch, I just draw anything. Um, I don't think about it. I don't have any distractions, but I've been filling up this enormous journal every day with drawings. And there's something Mm. about that routine, which I'll call a meditation, which taps into a flow space for me. Um, 
it kind of separates everything else I'm doing. It's my own personal private uh, ritual. So I think having personal rituals like that are very important because if it's something you can do anywhere at any time of the day, it gives you that flexibility, right? You're, you're able to do it at least once a day, uh, any day, any wherever you are, even if you're traveling. I think those things are important. So if you have a few grounding rituals, routines, that's what, um, you know, that's what I like to rely on. And that's what I think could really help with that. Mm, thanks for that. Yeah. Um, morning rituals are very important. And by the way, I recommend you check out uh, Rome research as a, as, a, oh, okay. as a new software, as a new tool to help you capture your consciousness. Oh, wow. Amazing. Yeah. I'll check it I out. I can geek out more about that. I can show you kind of what I do, but, um, yes. but I'm curious, you're a creative, you help other tell compelling stories about, you know, it's very meta that way, right? You tell, you help other people to tell their <laughs> yeah. story too. So yes. that's pretty awesome. I love it. How do you think about, um, this, um, how do you think about creativity? Do you have oh, wow. the mental model of, you know, this muse is visiting you and giving you ideas or you're more of a, a materialist like hey i'm just polishing something that's right in front of me hmm. how do you think about ways to get into that flow state and then and then guide this creative energy through you i'd say i'm personally more of the muse um artist which means I do really well with partners and with some kind of idea that I can then fully wrap myself around and apply myself to. So I think that's why things, um, th things progress so quickly when I work with uh, big thinkers and creative people or authors or experts because I can, they, have, they have the story that needs to be told, mm. need to be told, and I can, you know, in a way, be the vessel for it and be the megaphone for it. And I could just wrap myself around that or I can embrace it or I could plug into it and then just tell the whole vision. So I work best in those types of relationships. Um, I feel like there's a few, you know, that's a certain creative type and whether or not that's learned and I've just kind of fallen into that role, um, it's where I like to play. And there's other creatives who, they are more of the, you know, I'm going to produce something that completely from scratch, I'm going to tap into that, you know, in, tap into the ether and pull something in and, and release it and, you know, carve that statue or produce that work of art. I like that too, but I'd say, I don't think I'd, I've, well, I haven't made a specific career out of that, mm. you know, eventually, hey, I might, I might shift towards that type of production. But at the moment, I just really like working with people. I like mm -hmm. being brought a story or an idea at any stage and being able to see it and see it completed and then make that happen. Mm -hmm. So I really enjoy that. And you bring up a really good concept because you know, I think anyone who's creative, whether they're creative in business or creative in art, they understand that you know, they, get, they may get hundreds of ideas a day or an hour. And what can you do? Can you actually achieve all of those? You usually have to pick one. You usually end up not picking any <laughs> and letting it, you know, letting them go or coming back to them years later. But 
you know, I do believe that those are out in the ether. And in some ways, you know, everything that we consciously create as a humanity, as individuals, come from that web of ideas and creative ideas that we all have access to. So very much, uh, you know, like in Big Magic, uh, the book um, where, what's the author's name for Elizabeth Big Magic? Gilbert. Elizabeth Gilbert talks about that muse, that idea kind of whispering in your ear. And if you don't begin to immediately put your hands towards it, um, it will go and whisper in the next person's ear. And I feel like that's happening all the time. And, you know, there's also part of me that understands there are some artists and creatives out there who want to do what hasn't been done or, you know, the kind of needs to have their own fingerprint on this particular thing. And I would say, you know, you'll see, I, I think, I think you might want to just embrace everything and, and listen to what you can do and execute on what you can do and, and not be, um, you know, not be too picky, not turn away those divine moments of inspiration. You do have a unique um, uh, uh, um, angle to look at some of the thought leaders that shapes the zeitgeist of our time, right? You've hundreds and hundreds of, you know, uh, Deepa Chopra is a great example. What do you think separates the transcender thought leaders to everyone else? Hmm. I mean, there's people like, um, you know, like Joe Polish, who I mentioned, who has built an entire community around just him being himself and sharing things quite personally. Um, it's, it's not so much about the topic, it's more about the human. There are people like Deepak, who's in the spiritual world and you know, health and wellness and meditation. Um, Peter Diamandis is another person who's completely on the tech and future side of things and can articulate convergence. You know, all of these people, um, and, and of course there, there are many, many other, you know, female visionaries and, and luminaries as well. And for every single topic and every single visionary, I think what's important is it's the person who can speak to speak to the concepts and and in a way that everyone can understand and in a way where they're creating this convergence of ideas and thoughts in a very creative way and sharing that, you know, and being able to, to broadcast that. So sometimes I'm just the broadcast method for the, the visionary, the person who is already has already dedicated their life to that particular topic, you know, and that's um, that's something that I really enjoy doing. It's very complimentary. Mm. And right. I feel like there are more and more of those people that, that show up every day. There's so many incredible ideas and startups and brands that pop up every single day and every single week. And I'm always more interested in hearing from the founder, you know, mm -hmm. hearing what the founder's story is, you know, what personal story led them to launch that company, um, you know, what challenges they're facing as a person. So for me, it's much more about the human at the center of it all. And then from there, the community that they build around it and what is that community doing and what do they look like? And then what is that, the them and the community, what exactly is that? And that is often the, the brand or the program or the, the culture that they're building. Like they're building a culture that's going to have its imprint on the, on the world and on history. So it's like, I'm always looking at, at that as an incremental, you know, like these circles that become one mutual whole. Yeah. Thank you for that. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm very much aligned because part of what I do is to go through the process to help them awaken and polish the idea that's within them such that they are, they feel they are giving themselves the permission to say, Hey, I'm the person to bring this technology, this idea, this concept, this service to the world, follow me and then build in communities and, you know, then, you know, and work with you to, with the megaphone, right. To, to share that. Cause in my mind, we are what we make or the other, and also the other way around, we make what we are first and foremost. It's mm -hmm. a, very much an inside out, right? So that's why I'm very um, intentional about having conversations like this, such that other people can say, hey, if Akira can do this, if CK can do this, if all of these podcast guests can do this, so can I. Let me step forward and step into prominence and into my, my own path. Yeah, I, I think that's very important. And... I think you could call it, you know, values. When I think of like the title of your show, Noble Warrior, it just gives me the sense of someone who is committed to a certain, a certain path and, and the way they want to do it is with excellence and honor, whatever that means. I think that's being, being fair, being kind in my world. It's, it's those things, compassionate, um, doing things that are generative, that are win-win for, for all people, um, that don't do any harm. Um, and the warrior path um, is interesting because I feel like that's what's needed to move the world forward. And that may be something that has evolved in me. You know, I used to be just much more open and, and in communities where everything is perfect and in, always in perfect harmony. And there's a certain amount of, of tension and, and taking on the warrior path and, and moving towards your vision and fighting for it that I think is necessary to, to really move things forward in a positive way. Um, I'm always reminding some people that the, you know, this concept of, I want to see more do-gooders become good doers. So being a do-gooder used to just be enough for me. You know, I'm, I'm pro, you know, I'm pro environment. I'm pro people. I'm very spiritual. I meditate. I do all these things, but what was I doing? Like, where was the hand like head, heart, hands, spirit, the hands, the actual action, the, the learning how to build a business, learning how to make an impact, learning how to follow through with things, work with people, work on the non-creative side of things. That's me going from being a do-gooder to being a good doer, to actually being able to create things and move powerfully forward. So that's something I really have a high value with, you know, and it's usually that warrior archetype that I'm attracted to. You know, the person, one of the people I'm partnered with right now, um, his name's Jonathan. He started a solar company, but it wasn't that he thought it was a good business idea. He was in the Amazon and saw the impact of, of climate change and deforestation and things that were affecting that part of the planet. And he came back and all he wanted to do was just do his part. Like, how can we get more solar on the roofs? How can we move towards clean energy? And, and that you know, he took on a warrior archetype to fight that battle. And it's like tapping into that story to me is always the most important thing. You know, what is driving you or this mission forward that's beyond it being just a good idea, you know, mm. an interesting business, something that generates revenue. There, there's got to be something else that is really just like you are on a mission. <laughs> mm, I love that. 
can we go a little longer we can yeah yeah i'm happy to go a bit longer okay awesome thank you so in terms of your own journey as well as watching other people's journey what are some of the ways that you continuously elevate your own consciousness how do you balance right your evolution of your consciousness juggling being husband entrepreneur father man yeah good question i mean i think i'm guessing a good chunk of your audience might appreciate this this statement but you know my days of like the four nights of ayahuasca journeys and medicine ceremonies and going to bali and all this stuff are over and now right now that i'm a new parent um you know i'm running multiple businesses i have various people who rely on me i have a marriage to support and nurture and i have a three-year-old a child one child i know people who have four and who are doing what i do but that element of taking time to elevate my consciousness things that used to be very much you know embedded in me being able to spend a lot of time on practices being able to spend two hours in the morning just meditating, just you know, laying in the sun, practicing things, drawing, you know, thinking about things, spending hours a day journaling. Those are those were so important for me and so critical for my conscious evolution. And now I have to find a way to do that in a way that works with everything else with very little time. So I would say that lately, my tools for expansion have a lot to do with my my day-to-day interactions with people you know it's the way i show up it's the way i show up as a reliable partner as a leader to my team uh, it's the way i'm guiding projects and you know most importantly for me right now it's the way i'm growing a human you know someone who i'm i'm that figure in their world where they're looking at me and every single thing that i do to shape their reality so for me, it's opening myself up to their world, being in the magic of, of this growing child, being in the awe and the curiosity and all of those things. And that's become my, my practice. I'd say, you know, a lot of people say about this, you know, their, their spiritual path, their personal development plan, program, whatever it is, that takes the form of, of different things as you grow, you know, it, like your marriage becomes a big personal development tool in every, every way. Um, parenthood is its own personal development path. So for me, it's those things. I do miss just being able to um, tap back into more kind of ceremonial aspects of life. Um, and I plan to bring more of that into my world because I think that is something that's really important. Um, you know, I have why? a friend. Why, why, why do you yeah. think that's important? I think it's important because everyone needs to individuate from their relationships, from work, from relationship, from parenthood, and be able to tap back into th- themselves completely. And, you know, for me, that would be me like taking a hike, going on a full one day nature retreat, right? And just taking time completely to myself with no obligations to anyone else. Um, that's that's really important. I find that when I do that, I, re- I remember, oh, this is like my cup finally feels full. Like it's, it's always, you know, it's always 70%, 80%. Some days it's closer, but it's it doesn't ever get fully filled up until I do something like that. So I feel like that that's very important, especially in relationship. And especially if you have, 
you know, intimate um, interactions with multiple people all the time. It's like, where do you actually have that time to just sit with yourself and get to know yourself again? So for me, that that's it. That's, that's something that um, I certainly have not done enough of. And it's becoming clear to me that that is very, very important if I'm going to continue to grow. Awesome. Well, anytime you want to go on a hike, give me a call. Yes. Do, uh, some <laughs> reality bending hikes. Um, well, you're also big on lifestyle design. I know that you went from LA to Estonia, back in SD. So share with us a little bit about the lifestyle design aspect of things. Yeah. I'd say that we do have a lot of freedoms um, in that you can work remotely. There's a virtual... There are many more options to be able to to live live your life and have uh, either remote work be a part of it or have location freedom. Of course, many many people don't have these freedoms. But speaking for myself, the you know the career I've chosen, the type of people I work with, I haven't had to have an office you know ever. Um, we have a production studio now that I'm sitting in where we get to create in this amazing studio, but. Everyone I work with is remote. They're all over the globe. And I have to say, it's been pretty amazing to let that guide where I live. And even my wife and I raising a, a kid for three years, we were just following production. If we had a project in Europe, we would go there for the summer and stay there for a few months. Um, then we would be in Chicago. Then we would be in Vancouver in British Columbia. And there's something really amazing about that. So. Again, that was a way of me just fully aligning and embracing what I do professionally with where I live, with the communities I surround myself with, and being very, very fluid and open to that. And do you, you share more about sort of the pros and cons of because what you share is a lifestyle that I would say 99% of the people don't have access to, right? So they have yes. made a very romantic idea of like, oh, yeah, I mean, LA you know, this month, I'm in Estonia next month and so on and so on. And so give us a little bit of a like pros and cons and, and sort of why you choose a particular area or other. That yeah. would be super helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking that. I mean, it's very popular to be a digital nomad right now, right? Mm -hmm. Like so for some people, like that's their career. I don't even know what they do. I just know that they're a digital nomad. <laughs> and I can find them in, you know, one of five places around the world, whether it's Tulum or Costa Rica or Bali. Um, and that said, you know, there, there is a excitement, there's a magic to doing that. There's a freedom to doing that. But I feel like in order to really build something, you do need to be grounded. And mm -hmm. my wife and, and I and our family have, we're not grounded during that time. You know, we were uprooting ourselves. We were throwing everything into storage. And while the adventure, the trip was cool, it would always end up becoming very uncomfortable. Mm. You're coming back to having to find a place, having to pull your stuff out of storage, realizing, wow, we actually don't have a home. <laughs> Technically, mm. we do not have a home. We can call ourselves nomads, but the reality is we just completely dropped everything and are, you know, basically just floating in space. And you can only do that so much before you realize that that becomes a lifestyle in itself and it's hard to build foundational things. Mm. So the stage I'm at right now and the big con to that and why I, I you know, 
am happy for people who have a set foundational place to build from is that makes a huge difference. You can, you can really build things long-term if you do stay in one place and invest your time, your energy into the relationships and the community around you. You know, I've been talking to a men's group I'm in. Um, it's about 12 of us on this app and we all leave videos you know, for each other every day. And we've been talking a lot about culture. Like we are constantly building a culture, like whether it's with our spouse, one-on-one, we're building a culture of a relationship or it's a circle of families, like the five families and kids that they all interact together and we all, we all you know, co-parent together. That's defining a certain type of culture. And you can't really do that to a certain level if you are constantly leaving, you know, you can't build loyalty and long lifelong, really deep, reliable relationships if you're always coming and going and changing your environment and, and moving with what's new, what's new, what's new. So that's a big, that's been a big thing for, for us. And I have to say, we don't have the answer. Like we're still very much like knowing we need to be here right now, but we don't know where that next destination is going to be. But I'm going to make sure that we fully, fully land there and build a foundation there. Mm. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um, Cal Newport gave an interesting idea when I was reading his book, So Good, so good You Can Ignore. Anyways. Cal oh, Newport's I've read book. Deep Work. I haven't read that one. Yeah, Deep Work. I think it may be Deep Work, actually. Mm. So he mm. shared about four different ways that people use as a way to um, organize or self-regulate their creative bursts. One is monastic. You just go to a, basically a cave, right? And then you you stay there as a monk, effectively, as a way to cultivate that deep work. Another one is bimodal. So you regularly, you have a home, but when creative burst comes, then you go to that remote location to do your deep work. That's another thing. But then afterwards, you come back to your regular life, to be busy, to have regular lives and so forth. The third is ritualistic. So you may do, you know, sometime in the morning, miracle mornings and specific allocation of time to do your creative work. But throughout the day, you have different uh, allotment to do different functions. The fourth mm -hmm. is journalistic. You know, people are just creative on the move, right? As a fluid way, right? You have five minutes and let me mm -hmm. write it, you know, my book idea down in that five minutes allotment. So I think um, what you're talking about, at least for me, what works is probably bimodal. So I like to have a base. I like to, you know, travel to different places. I, I don't have the similar circumstances that you have. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's an amazing framework. I, I did not remember that. And I would agree. Yeah, I think bimodal is what I'm stepping into, whereas journalistic was probably what we were doing more in the past. Yeah. How, I mean, I can't even imagine like it, uh, I haven't done it, so I have no idea what that's like, but in my mind, I, I need my, you know, studio as a way to do my podcast and so forth. I can't even imagine to just traveling on the road, be a nomad and do this type of deep conversations. Yeah. I mean, you, you somehow find a way, you know, like have, have camera will travel was just kind of the way I was doing it for a while. And I've literally... I hope I think we have pictures of it, but I have literally edited films and projects in Airbnb bathrooms, like with my computer 
my laptop on the toilet and sitting wow. in the bathroom because that's the only space where I had power or had, wow. you know, had Wi-Fi. So uh, we've done it all. And as we mature, as our son becomes school age and you got to look at schools and where you're going to mm. raise them, you know, if we would have raised him in Europe uh, last year and stayed there, he has a completely different childhood. You know, mm. he's learning other languages. He's having to take on different cultures. So these are things you start to think about, especially for those um, nomads, those entrepreneurs who are parents. And I will say that we have some great examples in our world of parents who now have teenagers or adult children who did what we were doing, you know, who lived very creative, adventurous, kind of nomadic entrepreneurial lives and found a way to raise their kids and adapt their kids into it. So I, I asked them for guidance. You know, hey, is this a good idea or a bad idea to take on? So that kind of mentorship um, and guidance is, is really critical. You know, I'm not trying to just creatively create answers all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm asking for a lot of help a lot of the time. So this actually is a great question I want to ask you because you said you have a men's group with 12 people that you're in you know you share ideas with each other very intimate ways and you're obviously inter interfacing with some of the thought leaders of our time hundreds of them could you share with us how you cultivate relationships and unconsciously choose who to uh, include and, and what that is impacting your life and your way of thinking yeah, I would say, you know, during COVID, um, you, it seemed like people were either completely isolated or they found ways to try and adapt. And, and you know, it's terrible. Like there's people who are just now like finally leaving their apartment and haven't done anything interactive or social. Um, it was a rough year for a lot of people, I think, because we were used to having a lot of different friends all over the place and having a remote business and being able to keep communication with clients going. Like we kind of just kept things going. You know, it wasn't too different working at home and being stuck in one location for us. Um, so during that time socially, what one thing that happened was a men's group I was in where we were just meeting, spending an hour together, either going on a hike, um, sharing vulnerably you know to each person taking a turn or doing doing different exercises we all joined an app and formed the group there virtually so where some people were doing zoom meetups we were just on this app and it's a asynchronistic it's called marco polo you basically leave a video message and then you wait to see who else responds and this is a very amazing group it's all men um, half of us are fathers and husbands um, half of the men are melanated men or black African-American men. It's a culturally diverse group. Before. Melanated men. Yeah, yeah. So we spent a lot of time talking about the events of last year from okay. the pandemic to Black Lives Matter to any topic that came up. We were in this group talking about it and just being very honest and, and you know, having philosophical debates, having arguments, having, you know, awakenings. So that was one of the things that we, we came to identify as is melanated, non-melanated. <laughs> it's it's like a great it. term. It actually is a great I term. Like so, like um, but the value for that for me is that to this day, we still leave about five to 30 messages a day on this app every wow. single day. It's an wow. ongoing conversation. And 
sometimes it's like one of the guys is going through a divorce. Another guy just had a baby. You know, it's it's this ongoing dialogue. It's kind of like being around a campfire, a men's circle around a fire and just having that be available 24 hours a day. And we plan to be doing this forever and no one's left. Mm. A few new people have come in, but I'm sharing this because anyone can create this. You know, you can create this with your closest girlfriends. You can create this with your parents. Um, you can create this with any kind of group. And it's been really valuable to me because as much as it's important for us to con connect in person and go on retreats and meet up and do that, um, the way that we are able to have a dialogue about things and get feedback instantly is invaluable. So my, you know, what I want to share about this is I think in order for us to evolve and I'll speak for myself, the way I've been able to grow and evolve as a person and not come out of last year really confused or angry or uncertain or scared is because I had a group that I was able to talk through and share everything I wanted to share and get feedback and hear the perspectives of 11 other men from very different backgrounds. And I think that could be one of the most important things that humans people, individuals can do right now is have that circle of people that you completely trust. Mm. And the only rule is you're just all open and honest with each other. Mm. And tactical question, do they all know each other before they join the group? And what if you, they don't, you know, let's say, you know, they're in different cohorts, different circles, and then yeah. how do you merge them into yeah. this cohesive group? What's cool is we didn't all know each other. We, we had a few in-person gatherings that were organized by a friend of mine named Preston Smiles, who's a really mm -hmm. incredible guy based in Austin, Texas. Mm -hmm. And he was kind of the one who was bringing us together. But when we were in the room, there was no leader. We're all just sharing. So that group was organized around that circle of friends. Mm -hmm. And it's a very eclectic group. So I would say completely different cohorts. Some of us did not know each other at all. Others knew each other. Um, we brought in a few new people and we get to know each other so deeply through this particular method. Mm. You know, it's almost like, like we, we know each other. We know each other's childhoods. We know what's up in our relationships. Um, it's pretty amazing. So, you know, that's, I think that's the beauty of it because you can join business masterminds. You can go to your local, you know, meetup at the gym or your, you know, your mountain biking crew or your, you know, you have, you can have different groups and communities around different things, but this is a community just of men. We all, we all happen to be men. That's the only like, you know, um, mandate, or I guess, you know, s structure to it, but we all come from very different walks of life and very different opinions and philosophies and values and things like that. Mm. And it's so precious to, to have a inner circle, to have your men's group, to, do, for you to essentially be who you are, you know, without the mask, without the facades, without any of the previous identities and just have real conversations. So yeah, congratulations absolutely. For having that. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. It's that's, that's a new thing for me. Cause I'm, I'm part of masterminds. I'm part of groups that come together and everyone is either a entrepreneur or they're in a certain kind of niche and we're all sharing ways to grow and build businesses. This is so different. You know, this is just a group of 
humans of, of men interacting. We're all different ages, uh, you know, different, different life experiences, and we get to support each other. And yes, we've, we work on projects together and we've started businesses together and things like that. But what's most important is the conversation. What would you say to someone who is like, oh, this sounds awesome, but I don't know where to start. What would you say to those people? Yeah, I would say go out on a limb and, and just ask a few of your close friends uh, about meeting up and see who shows up, you know? Put it out to your community. I think now is a great time for reconnection. I feel like what's going to save us and, and really help people's mental health at this moment is encouraging community interaction. You know, in some ways, we've been allowed to really be with ourselves and our beliefs and form some pretty structured beliefs, whether it's political or, or personal or cultural. And now we're kind of embedded in those little echo chambers. And I feel like there's a great opportunity now to encourage community. So, you know, depending on who's listening, you might already have that circle of friends. So it's encouraging those circle of friends to get together more often or jump on this app and share consistently. Like, hey, you know, we're starting this for you to ask for help. That's the only thing, that's the only thing that, you know, we're gonna talk about in this group is, you know, what do you need help with? Um, or you can just begin to organize weekend meetups and things like that. But I feel like social connection and rebuilding those those interconnective points that are so critical for us to, you know, being thriving humans is really important, especially, you know, right here and right now after, you know, our experience, our collective experience of the last year and a half. Mm, beautiful. You might uh, do some rapid fire questions. Yeah, um, sure. I guess is that is that how you wrap up? That's great. Yeah. So first question, and it could be rapid, it could be not. It's up to you. How do you capture, process, synthesize, and execute your inspiring ideas? Lately, I do it in notes. I used to what keep kind of journals. Um, so Paper app, notes? Uh, no digital notes. So the Notes app on Apple. Mm. I I keep a note for every project, and then I have some that are just all my notes from things. Um, that has replaced all of my little journals that would just add up and add up and I would never kind of go back to them. So it's a digital archive. Beautiful. Love it. Uh, forward looking, what's the environment you want to see for future generations? Hmm. Community, uh, tightly bonded community in an environment that gives everyone what they need. So one thing I love about Europe is you have community gathering places. You have squares in every city, in almost in every neighborhood. And a lot of people are talking about living in community, building communities. And I think that's great. I think that's really important. Um, so that's what I want to see. I want to see places where people know and see and interact with their neighbors, their community on a day-to-day -day basis, but also have a shared space, whether it's a garden or a park or somewhere where they can gather and, and be together on a regular basis and build over generations. I think that is kind of the counterbalance to where we are now uh, you know, with people living in isolation. Mm. What role does rare media and storytelling play into that vision? Mm. Well, I will say that 
almost every project we're working on right now has to do with the natural world. It has to do with um, growing your own food. Um, it has to do with learning about nature. It has to do with sustainable living, sustainable energy. Um, so that is the role that Rare Meat is, is naturally playing. We're helping to tell the story. Uh, we're filming a farm that's being built uh, outside of, uh, in Georgia. You know, we're, we're filming with some experts in growing plants and using plants as medicine. Um, and we're also working with people who are focused on um, sustainability and, you know, rebuilding cities and, and giving people, you know, energy freedom. And so where they'll be able to build a community completely off the grid and things like that. So kind of just putting my, my camera and my creativity where my interests are and where I like to see, I would like to see the future moving towards. Mm, I love it. Last question. I'm going to use your question. What would they conclude from this interaction? How would you tell your wife about the conclusion from our interaction on Noble Warrior? <laughs> huh. I would tell, I would tell her and I would tell anyone that, you know, I, I feel, I feel seen. I feel like I had an hour and a half of someone who just really wanted to listen to me. And the same way that I want to show up for people when I put a camera in front of them as fully themselves, fully open, I felt like I, I got to receive a little bit of that medicine, which I was not expecting and it is actually really special. So, um, you know, this has been really, really, really sweet and reflective for me in, in all ways. Mm. Well, Akira, I just want to take a moment to really acknowledge you, how you showed up. I know that it took us a little while to book our time together. Yes. And who you are to me is someone who is on your own noble warrior path and being that conscious father, man, entrepreneur, husband in the best way that you can, right? And really empower people to tell this incredible, compelling, extraordinary story that each one of us have through, through your eyes, they get to see themselves as, as an extraordinary, uh, being, you know, living an extraordinary life. And, and from doing that, you had share, you work with impact driven people, helping them tell compelling stories and then bring them, bring audiences together into community and whether it's virtual or physical. So I really just yes. appreciate how you, how you um, live in a very conscious way. I don't know how else to say it. So thank you so much for just sharing your wisdom here on Noble Warrior. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been a, a true honor and just such a, such a great conversation. So thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Um, thank you for your patience and us getting together and finally doing this. And, and I love it. You know, I hope this gives some value to whoever's listening and you're doing a great service to having this dialogue. You know, this feels like a living, living dialogue and archive of wisdom. So I'm just grateful to play a part in it. Absolutely. So for those of you interested in following Akira and Renee's journey in, uh, I'll share the links to uh, rare media and also some of the work that they have done in igniting impact and little humans. So thank, thank you. you, Akira, for being here. We'll Absolutely. Soon. Thank you.